Genesis chapter 24, again, uh, last week I mentioned that we would be in this chapter on back-to-back weeks. We do it for two weeks because last week we kind of took a a step back and, and looked at a lot of things through Genesis, not just chapter 24, but we looked at, again, some of the big picture ideas, some of the big key themes that we want to be picking up on throughout the study of Genesis. And I continue to pray that, that by God's grace and the work of His Spirit leading us into all truth, that, that we together as a church body, that we really are seeing uh, God's sovereignty, God's faithfulness. And, and last week specifically what we saw was just on our end, in the life of Abraham, in the life of Noah, in the life of Adam and Eve. And then as we're making this transition where our focus is going more towards Isaac and Rebekah as as Abraham and Sarah pass from the scene, that we see that man, throughout all of God's faithfulness, God's sovereignty, throughout all of God's orchestrating all things together according to His will and fulfilling His promises, mankind, (coughs) up under God's reign, they've just been living life. Abraham and Sarah, their, their lives were full of mistakes and they did have some mountaintop experiences, so to speak, as far as their faith being strong. But they made mistakes and they fell short at time. Noah built the ark, worshipped God after the flood subsided, but then passed out drunk in his tent. We see faithfulness, we see obedience, but we also see sin. We see unfaithfulness. We see that in Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, just life. And we talked about how there's great freedom in understanding that God's not expecting us to be perfect and do everything right. We are called to be obedient. We are called to be holy as He is holy. We are called to pursue Christ. But we all know, we've all experienced in our lives already that there are times where we fall short. There are times where we give in to temptation. And in those moments, it is where we ought to be joyfully reminded of God's faithfulness and God's goodness and kindness and His long-suffering towards us. It's not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to just live recklessly. But there is freedom in knowing that God has already taken into account all of our shortcomings and all of our missteps and He has set His steadfast love upon us anyway. So we talked about that last week. Today we're going to be looking more so at the actual, the contextual points that we need to look at here in Genesis Genesis 24. We won't look at every single last little thing because we are going to try to still cover all of Genesis 24 here. So we read most of it last week. But we start in these first nine verses where Abraham makes a covenant with a servant who was over his household. Verse 1, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Full stop. I know that's just one verse, but full stop. God called Abraham out of Ur, To a land that God didn't even tell him where it was. He just said, a land that I will show you. And God gave Abraham a promise. 
I will make of you a great nation. You'll be the father of a great nation. And in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. All Abraham had to go on at that initial call was the word of God, the promise of God. Now that Abraham is advanced in years and will be passing away soon in our narrative, we read unquestionably all of the things that have taken place through the birth of Ishmael, the birth of Isaac, the lives of Abraham and Sarah, purchasing Sarah's burial plot in the land of Canaan. God has been faithful. And right here it is plainly stated, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in all things. God's faithfulness. God keeping His promises. Verse 2, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh that I may make, make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, <clears throat> but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Now this is a type of oath or a promise that is made, the, the hand going underneath the thigh concerning the posterity uh, of Abraham's household. It's just a, a symbolic oath uh, that is taken there. But you see in this, there's a commitment. <clears throat> there's a commitment to the purity of his people that Abraham has. There's a commitment to the promises of God, what God had commanded him. And there's, there's, a, there's a commitment with that purity of His people of not intermarrying with the people of Canaan. So we see a commitment there on the, on the part of Abraham. He is taking all of these things into consideration. It's not just that, well, go find my son a wife. Anyone that you can find. No. This, this desire to find Isaac a wife is connected to the promises of God. Abraham has taken all these things into consideration. And we know that because that's exactly what he tells the servant. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of of the Canaanites from whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Later, in verse 37, as the servant is relaying this narrative to the household of Rebekah, he says, My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. So the servant understands what's being said here, and the servant articulates that later on. To the household of Rebekah. We also see faith. We see the faith of Abraham on full display here. 
Now again, Abraham is well advanced in years. And as we've, as we've gone through the life of Abraham, again, there have been hiccups. There has been doubt. There has been laughter when God gives His promises. There has been laughter as if to say, huh, that's not going to happen. But here in this moment, as Abraham is advanced in years, listen to what he, to what he says to a servant when his servant says, what if the woman is not willing to follow me back? Do I need to take Isaac there? And Abraham says in verse 6, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. That is a statement of faith on the part of Abraham. In just those few lines of Scripture that we just read, Abraham gives a brief summation of his entire relationship or his entire walk with God. From the call of Abraham out of the land of his kindred until now. You can tell Abraham connects the faithfulness of God from start to finish. That's exactly what he says in verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred. That goes all the way back to the beginning when Abraham, when God first spoke to Abraham and said, get up and go. Abraham is saying, that God, the true God, who took me from my father's house, led me out of the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. The God who called me, the God who gave me a promise, and the, the God of the promise, the promise that I have lived my life under that promise from the time that I left my father's house, that God, He will send an angel before you. And you will find a wife for my son. In Abraham's mind, this whole entire event is as good as done. It's going to happen. That's faith. Now, hear me, because I want to I want to say this clearly. And I want everybody to grasp this. That is faith. I'm going to add one more word. That is normal faith. There is Here again, last week we talked about how there's nothing really extraordinary going on. There's nothing. This is just a, a father looking for a wife or a son according to the customs of that time. Nothing extraordinary. When you read that statement, it's easy to just gloss right over it and say nothing extraordinary there. That statement is full of extraordinary. That statement is full of the testimony of God's faithfulness. You say, but it's so brief, it's so short. God who took me from my father's house and led me out of the land of my kindred, the God who promised me to your offspring, I will give this land or I will give this land. How's that profound? How's that extraordinary? That is the entirety of Abraham's existence since his call from God. And Abra now this is a statement where Abraham, you could look at this and say, well, in Abraham's mind, he really is just living life under the promise of God. And whatever God 
brings to pass whatever God says He will bring to pass, whatever promises He gives, and whatever, whatever needs arise within my family, those needs will be met by God who is faithful. And I would say, yes, I think that's exactly what we're seeing here is Abraham's testimony of how he thinks at this point in his life. It is settled in his mind. God gave me Isaac, just like He said He would. God asked me to take Isaac up on top of the mountain and sacrifice him, but God provided the lamb. I didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. God provided a substitute. I still have Isaac with me. God gave me a promise to your offspring, to your offspring, I will make of you a great nation. Well, that would include Isaac can't be where the line ends. <laughs> if Abraham's family tree looks like this, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, then God didn't make good on his promise. If God just made sure there was Abraham and there was Isaac and then there was no other offspring directly descended from Abraham, then God wouldn't have made good on His promise. And Abraham seems to grasp this now. That there's no way that the family lineage ends here. My son needs a wife. So that God can continue to fulfill His promise. And that's exactly what's going to happen. He will send an angel before you and you will take a wife for my son. That's normal faith. So often we, we, we hear testimonies of people saying, well, I just knew God was going to do this or I prayed for it and it happened and, and it sounds big and, it's, and we think to ourselves, I wish I could have faith like that. That's, just, that's like this supernatural faith. No, it's not. That's just real faith. That's just actual faith. If you're a Christian here today, you are a Christian because God has called you. He has drawn you to His Son. He has claimed you as His own. Just as God called Abraham and said, You're mine. I'm, go, go to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. God, there was a call to Abraham. There is a call to all of us who are saved. God calls us and draws us to Himself. There was a promise that was given to Abraham. I'll make you the father of a great nation. Uh, your, uh, your offspring will have this land. There's a promise given to us. A promise of eternal life. And a promise of an eternal inheritance. You with me? Abraham lived his life under the promise that God had given him. We are to live our lives under the promise that God has given us. The promise of eternal life. Nothing's going nothing's to change or alter that promise. The promise of eternal glory. The promise of our eternal inheritance. Nothing's going to change or undo that promise. We're going to a land that God has prepared for us. Amen? He's, in the meantime, He's promised us that He works all things together for good. For those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. That's a promise that we've been given. So, as we live our lives, yes, there's, there's things, there's unforeseen things on our end that happen. There's surprises of life. There's tragedies of life. There's the heartbreaks of life. 
And you say, how do I have faith in those moments? How can I have faith that sees past the hardships, that sees past all of those things? How can I have a faith that is just steady and that knows that God will make a way, that God will provide, that God will sustain me? How can I have a faith like that? Just have faith. Believe. There's no two or three step secret. There's no five step plan. If you and I believe that God is who He says He is, then we simply must walk in faith and actually live as if we truly believe what we say that we believe. I believe that God is God. I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I believe that He was crucified. That He was buried. That He's risen again. I believe all those things. I believe that those who believe in Him have eternal life. I believe that God works all things together for good. I believe that we should take all of our cares and anxieties to the Lord. I believe that He gives us a peace that passes all understanding. But how do I actually have a faith that, that displays that? Well, you just told me that you believe it. So do you really believe it or no? If you believe it, rest in faith. At the end of the day, when we get caught up in any of that stuff, and whenever we, whenever we get caught up in the things of the world, and we think, how do I have a faith like that? It's simply because we're not exercising faith in that moment. It's tied to unbelief. There's something within us where we start to doubt. Okay, God, are you really working it all together for good? Okay, God. Are you, are you, are you really shaping this for good in my life? Are, are you, are you sure that, that you will always provide a way of escape and that you won't tempt us above that which we're able? Are, are you sure of this? God, are you, are you sure that I'm supposed to count it all joy whenever various trials and tribulations come into my life? At some point, all of that we will find it's connected to lack of faith. So how do we have faith like this? We need to actually believe what we claim we believe. And when we do, it settles us. It anchors us. Because if God is unmovable, if God is unchanging, if Christ who is our anchor is unchanging, if He is our rock, then our faith will stand. We will find ourselves more constant, more secure as we actually lean into the faith that we claim that we have. We will find ourselves like that tree planted by the waters rather than being like the wave that's tossed back and forth in the sea. Now Abraham was old and advanced in years. There was a lot of sanctification that had happened in Abraham's life at this point as well. We grow in our Christian faith. We mature in our Christian faith in a, on a linear timeline. It, it takes time. Stuff has to happen. But everything that happens to us, all of those times where we say, Oh, I lacked faith. Oh man, I fell flat on my face that time. I did not pass that test. I feel like I failed that test in every way that I could have failed that test. We remind ourselves, hey, even that failure, even that misstep, 
It was all part of God's sovereign plan to sanctify me and mold me into the image of Christ, which He has predestined me to be. And we grow and, we're, and that strengthens our faith. God will draw us into the place where we actually truly believe with confidence what we claim to believe. Because we'll be able to look back on our life like Abraham like Abraham is able to, and we'll be able to say, God was faithful there, God was faithful there, God was faithful there, God was faithful there. And that gives us the strength to where God will bring us to the place where we can say, just like Abraham said, my God will do it. He will do it. Each and every one of us ought to be able to say, the God who has called me to Himself. God who has given me great promises and every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, He will do it. Because He is faithful. We ought to be able to say that along with Abraham. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11, it's where you have the great explanation of faith. And then you have a list there of people who accomplish things through faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are, uh, are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that, is, that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go, out of, to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. We just read a summary of Genesis 1 through 24 in faith. That's where we're at right now. From one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And how did that come to pass? God is faithful. You say, well, no way. Hebrews, it said Abraham was faithful. Sarah is faithful. Yes. And what did their faith compel them to do? Trust in God. Be obedient. Yeah, but they stumbled sometimes, Caleb. Yeah, they fell short. They let, you're right. Yeah, but God is faithful. 
How can we have a faith like that that just says God's going to do it? Believe what we claim we actually believe. You say, well, how can that faith grow? Set your heart and set your mind upon Christ even more so. Pursue Him. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you hunger and thirst for Christ? The closer you draw near to Him, the more your faith will grow. Because He is the object of our faith. God makes His steadfast love God makes His steadfast love known. In verses 10 through 14, the servant actually makes a plea with God. In verse 12, he says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. So, he says it plainly. God, show your steadfast love. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of, of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Spoiler alert, if you're not familiar with the story, Isaac marries Rebecca. Before the servant had even finished, here's Rebecca. God makes his steadfast love known. We don't listen, we do not have to wonder if God has shown his love for us. First and foremost, look to Christ. Most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. How did God display His love? And specifically, uniquely, how did He display that love for His people? He sent Christ as the atoning sacrifice to pay the price for sin. To cleanse His people by the blood of the Lamb. Now that's first and foremost, that should be That should be the banner that we live our lives under. Christ. But on a more practical, if you just look at your life and you say, God, have you you shown me that your love is towards me? That your love is, is for me? Start thinking of all of the trials that you've made it through. And then add to that the trials that not only you made it through them, but you learned and you grew through those trials and tribulations. Oh, that's a testimony of the fact that God's Word is truth. He sanctifies us and He draws us nearer to Himself through the trials and tribulations and the sufferings of life. God is good. His steadfast love is upon us. Think about all of the things that that you enjoy in life. All of us, when when, when I get done preaching at 2 o'clock today, and we go outside... We're all going to get in a car that's either already paid for or we we probably don't have too much problem making that monthly payment. We're going to crank the car up. The air conditioning is going to come on. And we're going to say, oh, it's hot outside. I'm glad. That, well, it's cooling off now. But we're still, I can, man, turn that AC up. This, we, and, oh, we got to go get something to eat. And we're either going to go to our homes and cook something or make something or eat something out of the abundance of what's in our home. Or we're going to go to a restaurant and be able to pay for food without having to worry about, oh, I mean, is this, you know, is this going to put us in a deficit? Spending a few dollars for lunch? Or we're going to stuff our face. And we're going to go home. Many of us will take a nap in a comfortable bed under a roof. That a lot of us, many of us, if we were honest, we live in a house that's more house than we actually need. And the AC's going at home. 
Many of us are married and have children. We have a spouse. We have children. All blessings from God. Regardless of how you feel about your spouse right now, about the argument that you had this morning or the argument that you had last night or this past week, marriage is a gift of God. Family is a gift from God. If we ever find ourselves doubting if God's love is upon us and if God's steadfast love is surely abiding upon us and is surely towards us and aimed at us, may we simply just look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you fool. How dare you doubt such a thing? God makes it known in many different ways every single day of our lives that His steadfast love is upon us. And here, this was simply Abraham's servant saying, God, show your steadfast love towards my master Abraham. And before he even finished, Rebecca's there. <clears throat> Rebecca meets all of the requirements that, that the servant had pleaded with God about. And in verse 22, it says that when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel, two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is the room in your father's house for us to spend the night? Of course there was. But again, this servant is able to take of Abraham's abundance. Remember how the chapter started? Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in all things. These bracelets and the, and the nose ring that he gives her. Yes, he gave her a nose ring. Nose ring, I said it. In a Baptist church in South Georgia. Where, yes. He gave her a nose ring. Deal with it. No, I'm glad you are awake. Because some of you are smiling at me now. So I know you're awake. All of this is, is evidence. Hey, I'm not just sitting here bluffing. I'm not telling you that God has blessed Abraham. Here. Let, here's this. He would not have been able to give those things. If God had not blessed Abraham. And if he was bluffing. These are testimonies. Of God's goodness. It's not testimonies. It's not testimonies of. Oh Abraham must have become a good businessman. He's doing pretty good for himself. No. These are testimonies of God's goodness. God's faithfulness in Abraham's life. Long story short. The servant does indeed end up. At the house of Rebecca. But at verse 26 it says, The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. It is a testimony of God's steadfast love which he makes known. In verse 34, the servant recounts everything to Rebekah's family, who includes, again, it says that Rebekah was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. In verse 29, it says Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out to meet the man, and Laban invited him in. In verse 34, the servant, recounting all these things to, <coughs> to Rebekah's household, he says, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. And he has become great. Now, consider that you were Abraham's household before he left. And then all of a sudden, Abraham said, maybe he made an announcement, maybe he didn't. We're not told whether he did or not. <clears throat> but let's just say he did go to his family and say, hey, 
the Lord has spoken to me and I must go. His family might have said, where are you going? I don't know. The Lord told me. He showed me later. And you're going, Abraham? You're leaving? Yes, I am. It goes without saying, but just to really be clear on this. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have text messages. They didn't have phones. When Abraham left, there's a good chance it is. We'll see what happens. And when years go by without hearing from Abraham, his family might have really been wondering what's going on with Abraham. I wonder about, you know, it's been years since he left. I wonder how he's doing. I wonder what happened. Now, some of the events of Abraham's life, perhaps they trickled back to his homeland, but maybe they didn't. I wonder how he's doing. I wonder what came of old Abraham and Sarah. I wonder if they ever had that kid they always wanted. All of those questions and all of those wonderings that they may have had are answered right here. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. Those people would have known, those people would have known that Sarah was barren. (coughs) And this servant just said, and Sarah bore a son to my master when she was old. And they would have, hopefully they would have connected the dots and said, wait a minute, she was old. That's not the problem. Sarah was barren. (coughs) So she bore a child to Abraham when she was barren and old. How in the world could that have happened? God has blessed my master. The Lord has blessed him. My master made me swear saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, perhaps she will not follow me. But he said to me, the Lord before. Now he's testifying of exactly what happened. And he's saying, this is what Abraham told me when I said, what if she won't follow me? Abraham said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's Son, before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew water. The family is receiving this testimony of God's favor and God's goodness upon Abraham. You know, the one who... The one who before he left, if he did communicate with them before he left, would have said, I've received a word from the Lord and I have to go. That Abraham, the one who left his home on a whim 
He said he heard from the Lord. Now he's gone. Now they are hearing the testimony that he told me the God, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. He, He walks with the Lord. He serves the Lord. He is confident in the Lord. And then the servant says, I cried out to God. I was praying, God of my master Abraham, if you are prospering the way, here I am. Let it be so. And before I could even finish speaking in my heart, she was there. God is with Abraham. So really what is taking place here is that the family, this family is being exposed to the sovereignty of God. God, the Lord of my master Abraham, who called him out of this land, he has prospered him. He has done him well. He has given him and Sarah a son. And to that son has been given all things of the household. And he needs a wife. So Abraham sent me. I was a little nervous. I was like, well, what if she doesn't want to, what if she doesn't want to come home to see Isaac? What if, what if she wants to stay there? What if she wants me to bring Isaac to her? And Abraham told me, the Lord with whom I have walked will go with you. And prosper your way. You will find a wife. From my clan. For Isaac. It was as good as done. I said this last week. I'll say it again here for this sermon as well. There was never a chance that Rebecca wouldn't be at the well that day. There was never a chance that Rebecca wouldn't go home with the servant. Because God is sovereign. And this, this family, this household is getting a little snapshot, getting a little glimpse of the fact that, oh wow. So when Abraham left all those years ago, he left following a God, the Lord, who has blessed him, prospered him, given him, given him herds, given him male servants, female servants, given him abundance of silver and gold, has done all these things for him, gave him a son, even when it, Sarah was barren, but the God that he serves was able to give her a son, and they have Isaac, and, and the servant prayed to this God, specifically the Lord of his master, the true God, the servant cried out to him, and before he could even finish speaking, Rebekah was there, what are the chances? There are no chances. Go back to what Abraham told his servant. What did he tell his servant? The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. It was as good as done. What does faith look like? Faith looks like us actually acknowledging that God is God. If we really believe that God is God, then we believe and we know that He can do whatever He pleases, whenever He pleases, however He sees fit to do it. But it's more than that. We are His children. What has God promised to His children? That He works all things together for our good. Chiefly, one of my favorite things to to consider and meditate upon. But He's promised us what? That He'll never leave us or forsake us. That He is with us always. 
that even the trials and the tribulations and the sufferings of life are for our benefit. They're for our good. They sanctify us. They draw us closer to Him. And we, we know, of all the people on earth, God's children are the ones that should know that our God is in the heavens. He does as He pleases. God does with the inhabitants of earth and the inhabitants of heaven whatever He sees fit. So when stuff happens in our life, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, it might take us a few days to get there. It might take us a few weeks or months to get there. But the Christian should come to the place where we say, God is sovereign. What happened in my life? This event that happened, I might not see how it works into it, but this works into the perfect will of God for my life. This was not an accident. This was not a coincidence. This was not a freak thing that happened or a chance thing that happened. All things, all things are being worked together for good by God who works all things according to his purposes. Psalm 115 literally says, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Give glory to his name. Why? For his steadfast love and his faithfulness to his people. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. This family just got a small little snapshot, a small little glimpse that the God who called Abraham is working all things together for the good of Abraham right now in Abraham's household. Amen. Jump to the end. They did ask if Rebecca could stay for 10 days. Or they said delay for 10 days. The servant said, no, we must go now. Rebecca was willing to go. Rebecca was willing to go. So again, I want to ask this question. You already know the answer to it. But I will ask the question. What are the chances that Rebecca would have actually been willing to go? Having never seen Isaac. Having not too much evidence to go on that this servant is really telling the truth about Abraham and Abraham's household and everything else. Even her own family has made a request. Let it be 10 days. What are the chances that Rebecca would say, I'm willing to go now. There are no chances. There's no coincidences. This is exactly how it was always going to be. Because it was God's ordained sovereign plan. You say, well, if, well if, God is, if God has ordained all things and this is exactly how it was all going to be, that kind of just makes us puppets on a string. No, it doesn't. Abraham and his servant had a back and forth. The servant actually said, well, what if this happened? They had to think through it. Abraham wanted to find a wife for a son. God wasn't pulling a string making that happen. Every good father should desire spouses for his children. Should want to see them enjoy the gift of marriage and enjoy the gift of family. That's a natural thing. The servant. Abraham didn't say, you go or I'm going to kill you. (laughs) The servant was just obeying his master and, and, and living life. He gets there, he does make a plea to God, and God answers that plea. God shows his steadfast love. 
But the key thing to look at in all of this is Rebecca, it literally says Rebecca was willing to go. She wanted to go. Doesn't say she went against her will. Doesn't say the servant had to drag her to Isaac. She went freely. She went freely. God's sovereign grace is such that it makes the heart of stone and it makes the hardened sinner willing and free to follow Christ. Please consider that. It is only God's grace that is such that can make a hardened sinner with a heart of stone willing and free to follow Christ. Last week when we got to this passage of Scripture, I I connected it to John 10 where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and they will follow me. They won't follow the voice of another. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, and they will follow me. I have sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them in. They will listen. They will listen. It's not, they might, or I hope they do. I have sheep that aren't of this fold. I must bring them in. They will listen. There will be one flock, one shepherd. Here in this event, we have a father sending a servant to find a bride for his son. And so I'm going to, I'm going to end there. Again, with that same thought in our minds. The eternal Father. The eternal Father has prepared a bride for His eternal Son. And there is not a chance. There is not a chance that any individual who makes up the bride of Christ, which is the church, which is made up of all believers, there is not a chance... That any individual who has been called to be a part of that bride will not freely go to Christ. There's not a chance. Just like there was never a chance that Rebecca wouldn't be there that day at the well. There was never a chance that Rebecca would not be willing to follow that servant back to Isaac. There are unsaved people all over this earth right now. They are in unbelief. Right now at this present moment. But when they hear the voice of their shepherd. They will recognize it. And they will freely run to Christ. And what makes the difference. What makes the difference. Is God. Who is sovereign over all. God's grace and his mercy. They will hear. And they will follow. And that should give us great joy as we share the gospel. We don't share the gospel with people hoping, oh, I hope they might listen. I hope they might respond. I hope they might. No, this lets us know they're out there, they will respond. They're out there, they will come to faith. There's not a chance that they won't come to the faith because they will hear the voice of their shepherd and they will follow. I don't want to connect it to John 10. We're going to close in Ephesians chapter 2. Because here in, here in chapter 2 it says, He talks about those who were once far off become near. Now, in the narrative of Genesis 24, Abraham sends back to his own kindred. Which is interesting there because Jesus came first and foremost to his own kindred. Jesus came first and foremost to the Jews. And granted, there were some Jews who believed. But we know after His death, burial, and resurrection that 
the gospel went to all the nations of the earth. So those who were far off, whether they were Jew or whether they were Gentile, if they were far off from God, they are brought near through the blood of the cross. That bride who was far off in a different country, in a different land, that bride who was far away from the promised son, through the message, through the sending of a servant, through the message, that bride is brought home to the promised son. So we close in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. For by, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you you who once were far off have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility <clears throat> by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who once were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." Do not lose sight of the fact that everything we're studying in the book of Genesis is the building up of the household of God. Even in Genesis, the household of God that is being built, Christ is the chief cornerstone. Christ is the true promised Son. And all of this ultimately points to Him and His glory. How do we know that we are a part of the household of God? All who repent and believe will be saved. Repenting and turning from our sin, repenting of our efforts to be a good person, to make ourselves right with God in our own efforts, turning away, repenting of sin, and placing our faith in Christ and Christ alone. If you're here today and you say, I've never done that, then I can joyfully tell you what I just said. All who repent and believe will be saved. All who turn to Christ in faith will be saved. So we encourage you, we exhort, we exhort you, turn to Christ and be saved. For those of us who are here that we say, I know that I'm a child of God, rejoice. Praise God for His faithfulness and His steadfast love which endures forever. Let's close in a word of prayer.